for joining me for the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm your host, Howie Jacobson. Hey, today we're taking a break from some of the heaviness in the world, and we're talking about food and dessert food in particular and vegan, healthy, keto-friendly chocolate. My guest is Rim Selmy, who grew up in France eating, you know, delicious French food. Her parents are from Tunisia, so there's a whole other culinary tradition to enjoy. And growing up, she didn't really know what she wanted to do with her life, so she did what lots of people do when they don't know and they have lots of uh, energy and ambition. They go into investment banking. And while she burned out her health on investment banking and a uh, sugar addiction, she also learned a few things that came in handy when later on she discovered veganism, health, and wanted to create products that would make it easier for people to give up dairy and live delicious, healthy lives. So that's what we're talking about. Her company, Miro, M-I-I-R-O, that's at Miro.co, C-O, um, a very interesting story. And one of the things, if you're interested in business or maybe starting something on your own, there are a lot of lessons to be learned from this conversation based on the the mistake a lot of us make when we have something we think the earth wants, the people want that you know is going to help the world and everyone should use this is we don't really pay attention to the numbers, to is this going to work, to is there a market, how are we going to sell it and promote it and deliver it and distribute it and all that. And coming from investment banking, um, Rim Selmy had a series of questions and a bunch of tools to ask that really um, significantly reduced the risks of failure and of big failure at that expensive failure. So I hope you'll enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, Rim Selmy, welcome to the Plant Yourself Podcast. Hi. Hi, Howie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Um, and for, for people who are just listening, they should know they're, they're missing a, a really radiant smile. So I, as soon as you, you came onto my <laughs> screen, I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. So, yeah, which is good, which is good. I think it'd be, it'd be, it'd be hard to, you know, to do what you're doing, which is sort of, you know, selling delicious, healthy, vegan chocolates and chocolate products and be a depressed person. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you've got that smile. It would be hard. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially because we were talking to uh, like a very broad scope of uh, audience. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I love, you know, often I love to begin just with, you know, your story so people get to know you a little bit. Can you give us your your bio? Yeah, sure. So I'm Reem. Um I was um I was born in France, so I had like these um these food cooking education from uh from the country I'm from and um I'm my parents are originally North African, so very very strong uh, cooking culture. But this cooking culture is very uh, much to like oriented toward like uh, eggs and uh, meat and fish and those kind of um, like basically uh, proteins, animal proteins. So I, I grew up in this kind of environment where my mom was an amazing cook. And uh, when I grew up, I started really to travel the world and, and I landed in the UK uh, where I started like to work like a, a hectic, uh, hectic job. Um, and when I quitted my job, um, I was totally, totally miserable, very, very tired, exhausted 
relying primarily on coffee and, and sugar. So I created like some uh, vegan, like a magnum type of ice cream. Um, and because it was actually the moment where I started like turning toward like veganism and because I read like amazing stuff about it. Um, so, so I created these kind of products first. This is a very short version to introduce myself, but so we'll, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll get into the details. I'm, I'm making, I'm making notes okay. on stuff I want to ask you. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so I, I started creating this and then, um, and then I went back to another job and, and then I felt that I actually had a product that I could commercialize. Um, so, so yeah, so basically I started like growing in France and then traveling around the world finishing, not finishing, but uh, ending up in the UK where I started like to know about plant-based food and veganism, uh, more generally speaking. And I'm now in it based in, in the US. Um, I have a two and a half year old baby um, and, and then building mirror basically. Oh, so um, North Africa, whereabouts are your folks from? Uh, Tunisia. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. So it's a very small, it's a very small country. Uh huh, and but with it with a rich culinary tradition. Very rich, yes. Like North African countries, generally speaking, um, have. I don't know if you're familiar with Morocco, but it's um, like food is at the center of everything. Like it's uh, the way moms express their love. It's the way um, people gather together and, um, and yeah, it's a very like Mediterranean food, generally speaking, is very rich, um, and, uh, and, and delicious too. Yeah. So I'm familiar with Moroccan food, um, partly because yeah. there's more of it here and there's, you know, harissa and spice mixes, but also I spent a year in Israel and there were a lot of Moroccan immigrants who, you know, had set up you know, restaurants and food carts. How does Tunisian food differ? From Moroccan food? So actually, Harissa is Tunisian. So oh. it's very spicy, um, very, um, like, there's a lot of, like, um, very heavy in, in fish and, and in meat, um, and very heavy in spices and flavors. Um, yeah, so it's a bit like, for example, I don't know if you're very familiar with Asian food, but Korean food is really distinguished by... Um, like the fact that it's meat centric and the fact that it's very spicy. So mm. I would say that it's more or less the same thing. Okay. Gotcha. gotcha. So that's what you grew up on. When, when did it start not agreeing with you? Or did, I mean, did you, did you shift? Like, you know, it's, I'm sure it's hard to get homemade Tunisian food in, in London. Like what, what was, what, what did your diet turn into? So basically when I, when I moved to London, I, so I was really leading this crazy life, like working without any exaggeration, like 18 hours a day. What, what were you doing? Um, and I was working like as an investment banker. So, um, I left these, uh, these behind me because I really feel that, um, it was not for me, like my personality and, and everything and what I value in life was not really aligned with, uh, with my values mm -hmm. and, and also with, uh, with my strengths because I'm very creative and, uh, it's more a very, 
and do it the way I want uh, <laughs> or take the highway kind of approach. Um, so it wasn't for me. Mm-hmm. So um, so th- that's really when when I quit in my job, I, I was totally addicted to sugar and, and I wanted to reconcile myself with, with my body. I was tired all the time, exhausted. I could, even if like I had a full night's sleep, I was totally, totally exhausted. And I heard about dairy-free at the time, um, dairy-free diets. Mm. And and people were like raving about uh, the benefits of a dairy-free diet. So I started and I thought, okay, let's let's do this two weeks challenge. I did it and, and I enjoyed it. I really, really loved it. And uh, I love the taste. I love the creativity like uh, around like dairy-free uh, products, like for example, creating the dairy-free cheese and those kind of things. Um, and then I was like, okay, so if I managed so easily to switch to a dairy-free diet, let's try to switch to a vegan diet. But again, there was no pressure. There was no uh, judgment, no nothing. Uh, I didn't know anyone who was vegan at that time. So I just did it just mm-hmm. for me because I love a good challenge. So um, I tried it. And, and the benefits were, were incredible, incredible, totally. Like it solved a lot of my issues. Like I was not productive anymore. I, I, I was sleeping really poorly. Like I could have a full night's sleep in the morning. I would wake up. I was exhausted. Um, I was tired all the time. My energy was very low. Um, I was losing my hair like crazy. Um, so a lot of things happened to me that the vegan diet managed to solve or improve a lot. And, and that's really where I thought, okay, I, I need to do that for my health. I need to do the change. Um, and then because it was about seven years ago. So, and then people started like to talk about studies, environmental studies. And then there were documentaries about animals that started to, to, to become more and more uh, popular. So I started to watch and, and every time it validated this choice. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, so it's, it's a diet that I really love. Gotcha. So I'm really curious about investment banking, both why, why you signed up for it in the first place. Like, what did you think it was going to be that it wasn't? I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what I wanted to do in my life. I just followed the crowd and I thought I'd figure out. So like what you have to understand is I come from a French society where academics are everything. So we finish like school quite late, like generally 25, 26 uh, years old. Um, and basically by the time we, we finish school, we are, I mean, because we spend so much time in school, uh, we don't really know. Most people don't really know what they want to do. So, um, and the second thing is as well, it's not like the U.S. where, for example, if you're really, really good in, in something, you're still hired because uh, companies are smart enough to, to believe that if you're good in one thing, you can be really good in something else. So while in actually a lot of European countries, when you specialize in something, you stay in the same place the rest of your life. Mm. So uh, while when you do a bit of finance, you have the flexibility to move around and do something else because it's still perceived as like open enough to, to move to marketing or like HR or anything like this. 
So that's the reason why I did investment banking. Mm, okay. And um, what, what, what was, what was it that led you to quit? Was it, was it a moment or just, you know, like this is, this is something that's um, going against my values or was it just the, the grind? I would say there are, there were several things that made me quit. The first thing is, you know, when you exhaust your body so much, I'm sorry. Right. My phone, my phone, is, <laughs> my phone is off, but I have a couple of people who can break through. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I was saying that there are a few things that made me quit this job. And um, the first thing is, you know, when you work with that intensity, it has to, it has to worth it. And, and like in hindsight, at the end of the days, I thought, what added value have I brought today? And then the second thing is you also want to be part of something bigger. I mean, when, especially when you're younger, you, 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 you just don't want to do things that seem meaningless for you. And, and it seemed, it very much seemed meaningless for me, like mm. doing some PowerPoints up to like 3 a.m. or it, it just really didn't resonate. And the third thing is, um, I would say for me, like, uh, the way they like, um, human resources are not a big, a big thing, uh, in investment banking, like, because resources are exhausted. Um, and, and for me, the way you treat people is, is something that is really, really important. There should be no debate around it. And, um, and the thing is we're not treated always super well. So, mm. um, so yeah, so at the end of the day, I thought, okay, it's not for me. And, and then I discovered myself more and more. I discovered like who I was, what I wanted, what were my strengths and my weaknesses. And, and I felt that my strength is and who I wanted to become didn't really align with this environment. Mm. I'm, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but I'm wondering whether your experience in investment banking ended up being something of a blessing once you decided to start your own company. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Because, uh, you learn attention to details. You learn, uh, some form of business ethics because, um, in investment banking, you deal with, big customers, huge customers, and, uh, and you need to please them and to make sure that they get the best service possible. So then you apply this kind of discipline to your own work. Um, so, so yeah, so because of that, it totally worth it. Um, but then, um, I would say what, what was more challenging was, and I only recently started to realize this was the work-life balance because I was um, used to having no personal life. So when I started building Miro, it was normal for me working crazy hours too, um, up to a point where I had my daughter and it was no longer manageable. And I just realized that I just wanted to see her grow uh, too. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering from your perspective now, do you think it's possible to found a company 
that's that has good work life balance from the get go, or is there is there some period in which an entrepreneur is going to have to say, I have to sacrifice myself and my family for this dream? At some point, I think you need to sacrifice. It can be a limited part of like your journey, um, but I think that you it's a necessity. You have to sacrifice something. It's just. Yeah, it's uh, especially at the beginning uh, because there is so much to know. You need to to know everything about, especially in my industry, food. So we need to be super careful with what we put in our products. So in terms of um, legal, we need to be totally compliant in terms of packaging, the claims we do, um, but also like we work with so many stakeholders um, yeah, so I would say yes, uh, most definitely. Like you need to understand a lot of things. Like uh, myself, I did my own research and development. I didn't hire anyone or um, so even for the ice creams that we used to do uh, back in the days in London um, and we manufactured, like it, it's very, very complex. And and uh, and because of that, uh, I think it's it's a necessity to to sacrifice your, I mean, uh, at least for a period of time, a part of your life. Yes. Mm. So, so in, in London, you had, you had quit the investment banking job and did, I mean, I was curious, whether you, did you quit like feeling like I give up, I'm defeated or like I'm, ex, you know, I'm putting this behind me and I'm excited for the next adventure. Like I'm trying, you know, like it's, 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 there's so many different ways you can quit something. Yeah, well, I, I, I realized I was living someone else's dream and, and it was not mine. It was not mine. I just went there because I didn't know what else I would do in my life. I didn't know myself. I didn't know what were my strengths and weaknesses. So, and then, you know, it's a vicious circle. You stay there because other people are there. You're just afraid of the way you're going to be judged and, and everything. But then at some point you, you, you just believe that, I mean, it's their dream. It's not yours. Uh, so for me, it was important to start chasing my own dreams. Um, so, so yeah, so the, yeah, I would say that this, uh, was really like a trigger for me mm -hmm. to realize this. Gotcha. And so once you started doing research, I mean, I imagine one of the things you discovered is that it's a really hard business to get into to yeah. to sell food that isn't sort of inferior, right? Like as, as long as you're selling inferior goods, there's always going to be a market for it. You can always sell it cheaply. You can always go to a, you know, undercut your suppliers with another supplier. You can, you can, you know, get chocolate from people who use, um, child labor. But when, you, when you're trying to, to do something that's on a higher level, you mentioned all these stakeholders, like how, how yeah. did you first think about what are the standards that you were going to insist upon the you know, the things that would be deal breakers if you couldn't get them to build this company? So for me, what like the deal breaker was Okay, so when we started to create our ice creams, everyone was telling us, because we were the first vegan magnum style of ice cream in, in Europe that contained less 
uh, like about 30% sugar uh, less than our competitors. And, um, and it was a real innovation uh, per se. But when I created that, a lot of people told me, you will never, you will never do it. Like I've been in the industry for 30 years and I'm an, I'm an expert and expert this, expert that. And, but I just came with a lot of naivety and I didn't know what I didn't know. So I managed to do it. Um, because that's the power of naivety sometimes, sometimes. Um, so, you know, when you, when you do that and, and you, like you manage to create something that has this level of complexity just because it's vegan, just because it contains less sugar. I mean, for me, this is my story. Like those products are my story, my own journey, like having started like with a plant-based diet and then having reduced my sugar intake because of gestational diabetes was my story. I don't want to compromise on this. It's like compromising on this part of my life. So for me, this would be a big deal, like a, yeah, deal breaker that the product cannot be any more vegan or they, they would still have, they would have a high amount of sugar or this would be a deal breaker. And then I would say that my parents being North Africans, it's really important for me to give back to the community because I saw poverty from my own eyes and I saw deep, deep poverty, like the kind of poverty where like some mother mothers would would take just like some leaves they could find and put some hot water and blend it for to 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 get a soup it's just like a stir stir the leaves uh for a soup and they would feed their children with that because they would have nothing else to give back to, to give sorry so that's why for us it's important to give back. And that's why on our website, we met clearly mentioned that we are giving back 10% of our revenue um, because of that. And now we are going one step further because we are enabling, um, and this is like the next, next development of Mirror, like every single purchase on our website, um, like at checkout, the customer will have the possibility to choose the charity of his or her choice. Mm. And that's amazing because the money doesn't hit our bank account. It goes directly to the charity and it gives a lot of comfort to, to people for, for donations. So for me, having to compromise on that would be a deal breaker too. Um, yeah. So I would say like those elements are very inherent to the kind of product and company we are today. Um, and, and we wouldn't be able to, to, to compromise on those. Mm. So what what made you shift from ice cream to to chocolates and baking products and confections? So when we launched our ice creams, we received a great like the feedback was was just amazing. So we had like a it, it was a really hit at launch. And um, but then the problem we had was that we had to move to the U.S., which was great news for us because we like we could progress faster in our mission being in the US people are being more open to to learn new things um sorry to to uh, taste new things they are more open to to variety uh, than Europe so it was great but then when we moved here initially i started to travel back and forth between Europe and and the US and and then covid hit and I wasn't able to travel back to the U.S. anymore. And I had my daughter too. Um, so what happened was that I, I had to 
to just like bring all our operations here in the US. And then we started to do some market research to see if we could bring in our, our ice creams here. And we don't want to bring in a product if we believe that it's very well covered uh, and ice creams, vegan ice creams are very well covered in the US. There are a ton of delicious uh, vegan ice creams. So we don't want to be like a plus one, like an additional uh, ve delicious vegan ice cream product. So we thought, okay, let's, let's put ice cream aside, uh, aside and then with my gestational diabetes, I started to think, okay, if only I could, I could have like a product that where I feel satiated, where, um, that is vegan, that is low or no added sugar. And this is really how I came to this conclusion that, uh, chocolate and baking products could be a really good fit having tried all the, 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 the no added sugar, uh, chocolate products here in the U.S. And then we also did like some market research and we felt that vegan chocolate was not very well covered here because very often vegan chocolate is associated to uh, dark chocolate, which by definition is vegan chocolate. Um, there is very little white chocolate bars, for example, or very little creamy, um, like, milky with a Y, mm. um, chocolate, uh, like chocolate bars that are vegan here. Um, so we felt that there was something here. Mm. So when you say no, no added sugar, so what typically goes into a no added sugar chocolate product? Like I know there's like, you know, a hundred percent cacao, which is just bitter. Right. Yes. And then, you know, sort of 92%, 85%. So, and every, and every time you go down a percent, it feels like it gets a little bit sweeter. Um, what, yeah. what are the things that people use instead of sugar and like, you know, what's, what's the landscape? What things are considered good and healthy? What things are out of favor? So, okay. So basically I think there is, uh, a misconception about sugar. Um, so a lot of people turn to coconut sugar because they feel it is healthier. It's brown sugar after all and everything. But when I did my um, market research, um, I realized that, sorry, my research uh, for research and development, we realized that actually coconut sugar was still sugar. <laughs> and all those natural sugars were still sugar, even if they were not refined. Um, and, and I couldn't even consume it with my gestational diabetes when I was pregnant. So, um, so then I started to turn to, um, like sweeteners. So it's basically, um, like it's the power of, of sugar in terms of, um, how sweet it is without the constraint of, um, like, uh, like, um, high, uh, blood sugar, uh, like, spike of, uh, of blood sugar and, um, and, and for us, so we started to look at several kind of, uh, alternatives and, and there are a, a lot, there are a lot. So there's like the category of sugar alcohols. There is a monk fruit that is quite new here. There is allulose that has been authorized since last year by what, the FDA. What is that? Um, allulose. 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 It's, oh, um, heard of it. like, yeah. Um, there, and, and there's of course stevia. So, um, 
so we created, we wanted for us what was important, have, having tried all those products, was to be able to have no aftertaste because sweeteners can have aftertaste. Um, and, and that's why we created a blend. So we took what, um, like, for example, um, something that came, up, not, that came up in our research was that some people complained about xylitol. Uh, so xylitol has been around for so many years it's safe, uh, it comes from fruits uh, and and blended with uh, stevia, it can have a great sugar. Some people complained about it because it was causing stomach cramps. So we thought, okay, what can we do? And we thought, okay, well, a good and natural way of doing it would be to ferment it, to um, to have like, to, to, to get the best flavors out of uh, erythritol, but also to remove the stomach cramps. And then uh, we blended it with stevia. And so we buy our stevia from directly from the farmers. Um, and stevia can be difficult to manipulate. But then if you know how to manipulate, you can actually uh, make sure there is like no, um, no aftertaste. And then we also added some uh, chicory root fiber. And we created a blend that had absolutely zero, um, zero aftertaste. Uh-huh. And so how much sugar is still in these products? Sorry, I think I said uh, xylitol. I meant erythritol. Oh, okay. Sorry, we don't use any form of xylitol. No xylitol. Uh, so how much sugar? So it's meant to have less than a teaspoon for a whole bag or a whole bar. Mm. So it's about three to four grams. Uh-huh. And just for comparison's sake, how much sugar is in a similar sized bar of you know, I don't know, Equal Exchange or, or Trader Joe's or, or Hershey's? So let's say um, if it's not a dark chocolate bar, but it's, let's say, let's compare, um, like, uh, let's say, like, our white chocolate bars compared to a, a standard white chocolate bar, I would say that ours have four grams sugar and um, another one uh, would have 40 Five forty-six plus uh, gram sugars for the whole bar, uh-huh. and very often even in the sixty. Gotcha. So, so it's a huge difference. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. It's a huge difference. Uh-huh. Okay. So, so you came to the United States. You realized that the the ice cream wasn't going to work for for, for various market reasons. Uh, did you come to the U.S. to kind of chase the market? It sounds like a little bit like this is where the people are going to be open to something new. Um, no. So we we came to the U.S. because so we had for us mirror was not a product. So it was not tied to ice cream. It was really a mission. And the mission was to convince people that if they switch to a healthier life and it can be like plant based, no added sugar, then, I mean, it, if they find delicious products, they can switch easily to a healthier lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And, and this was our mission. And we felt that the U.S. were so ready for it because people are so open to this. So, uh, to this message. So we came here. Initially, we wanted to bring our ice creams there here because we got all this feedback in, in the UK and in Europe and, and it was a really good feedback. So we thought we actually believe Americans will love it. But then, there were so many delicious alternatives. So we thought, let's not compete here. They've been there for 10 years, 15 years. And so we're not going to do that. 
But then when I, when I tried the chocolate, um, equivalents or the baking chips equivalents, I was really, really shocked. And then when I started to discuss with manufacturers and their suppliers, their chocolate suppliers, they very often have the same chocolate supplier. And something that really shocked me was that they are very often proud of this supplier because it's a Belgian supplier, but having lived in Europe, having been raised there, having like, we have like this chocolate culture that is very deep, actually. It's for us, we all know this supplier and we all know that it's very like mass market kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought, no, like there gotta be something we can do here. Um, in terms of what we can bring. Um, so, so that explains, uh, it was not just a, an opportunity. It was also because it was reflective of my own journey too. Uh huh. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've had chocolate from Maison du Chocolat in, yeah. in Paris. So I understand the difference between, between that and Kayabat. I don't know if that's the one you're referring to or not, or whether you even want to say, um, but um, so like you just you were here, you decided, OK, let's enter this market. I'm just I'm curious about like, you know, I don't want to get personal into your finances, but it seems like it, it takes it would take more money than most people would have to really dive in. And you kind of need other people, you know, not just money, but also, you know, legal and um you know, intellectual property and uh, financing, like how do as you as a person with a mission, how do you first go about creating a team that has all the resources that you're going to need, whether it's whether it's money or expertise or, um, you know, contacts? I think that, so one thing we've been very lucky right from the beginning, be it in, in Europe or here in the US, a lot of people joined our mission. We didn't even contact them. We didn't even know their existence. They just contacted us because of the product. So they, they loved the idea. They loved the taste. They loved the mission. So they contacted us to support us. So that's the first thing. Um, so I've never ever contacted an investor in my life, uh, but it was the other way around. Um, so we had a bit of investment, yes. Uh, but then a lot of things I had to learn it myself. Um, and, and you have to be able to be super agile to, um, to find the right people to incentivize them in a way where, you know, like if they do two hours of work for you, it will be, like two hours with great value, uh, not just two hours. And generally you can find a lot of people like that when they, when they love the mission and they take it personally. So it's all about our story and our journey. And, and that's how we get a lot of people on board. Then in regards to everything like legal, copywriting, uh, um, branding and everything. It's just me. I'm, I'm very hands-on and, um, and I'm very passionate about all this. Um, I love running my business because this is the kind of creativity I didn't have in investment banking. And that's the reason why I left. I started to learn what were my strengths and, 
And this is typically a strength I have, like to have this curiosity to learn. So, um, so we started learning, 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 and then, and then we validated with, uh, legal, like, um, but you know, when you get someone, like, you take a lawyer to start a project from scratch and you take a, a, law, a lawyer to just ask and validate, okay, have I, what, what I'm doing now, is it correct? Which direction I should take? And then you make him check again later on. It's not the same price, right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. like more a startup way of doing things. So, um, so yeah, so we, we, we have our own ways of doing things at a, at a lower cost. Uh, but one thing we never, ever, ever compromise on is the ingredients we choose. Um, our packaging is recyclable, um, those kind of things that are really like core to, to, to our, our mission. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's, what's the state of the business now? What, what are you producing? I know you sell on your website. Are you looking for, do you have, you know, retail partners? Um, you know, putting your products into other products. Where where are you now? So uh, at the moment, we just want to be to sell on our website. We don't want to go to Amazon. We don't want to go to retail. Um, and I think it's going to last like about a year, just because our website is just a fantastic way to uh, to educate people about our products. You know, when you are in a supermarket, people take the decision. They have like the, there were a lot of studies about it, but, uh, in like the span of a quarter of a second, they take the decision whether or not they're going to buy your product. Mm. So how can you convince people when your product is on the shelf? So instead of that, when we have a website that is beautiful, engaging, um, with a great experience, people tend to spend a bit of time on your website. They, they tend to read what you have to say. They tend to understand your unique selling points. Um, and, and, and they take the time to, to write a review. Um, and this is really what helps us. And that's why we are, we want to stay like focus on our website first. The second reason as well is to get the data. So, um, a, a fantastic way of, um, of getting the data is basically if you use your own platform because uh, Google, like 10 years ago, were able to provide you a ton of data. And when I talk about data, I'm talking about what customers love, where they spend time on your on your site. Is it more uh, on the chocolate part or is it more on your, the baking part? So, for example, let's assume that a random figure would have 10% of people on the chocolate collection and 90% on the baking collection. Then okay, maybe the baking collection would be more interesting to develop than the chocolate collection. And and this is really, you get instantaneous kind of uh, data about what customers love and what they want. And and that's why for us, it also makes sense to keep working on our, on our website. So we won't go to retail or Amazon or uh, third parties um, platforms before a year from now. Mm. How, how do you attract people to the website in the first place? Um, I would say mainly social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the biggest chunk. Uh-huh. We get a lot of people uh, posting uh, about the product they found, and um, and we get a lot of support from influencers and creators. 
Gotcha. Are you, and are you reaching out specifically to vegans, to health? Like, how, how do you think about spending your social media time and money in terms of demographics? So I would say that what is really interesting with our product, um, it's, it's more of a wholesome product in the sense that you can buy, you can, you, like, you can, you can consume a whole chocolate bar for only a few grams sugar with a good in ingredient list and, and good ethics being plant-based. Um, so it's not really, we haven't, we don't position it as solely a vegan product or solely a keto product or solely a low sugar product. So it's something that ticks all the box and that's the way we wanted to position it. So having said that, um, we, like the the approach we we take is uh, we take a bit of everything, so a bit of uh, vegan people, a bit of uh, like low sugar uh, dieters, uh, health conscious people, and 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 we mix it. Um, like we mix the kind of um, uh, like content we receive from our customers. So, for example, we have one customer being vegan. We will. We will put it online and then we will have someone else being keto. Like, uh, we will also like, um, publish it on our website, on our social media, et cetera, et cetera. We, we, we don't focus on one single thing. And the second thing is actually most of people who buy mirror are none of those. They are not keto. They are not vegan. They, they don't follow a specific diet. They are just health conscious. Um, so, so that's why it's very important to not focus on the label, if I can call it this way. Um, yeah. Mm. That's, I, yeah, that's, I guess it's, is that surprising to you that most of the people don't attach to one of the labels that you kind of went out of the gate with? No, I'm not surprised at all because, um, I think that a lot, a lot of people consume meat or fish or eggs, for example, and they, they want to reduce their meat intake, but they don't want to stop consuming meat. And same thing for dairy and same thing for eggs. So when you get a product that enables them to reduce their uh, animal uh, consumption, um, so for example, their milk consumption or through something that they find delicious, it, it's an easy win for them. So it's really like people are really into on a mission with their own health uh everyone i feel is on a health journey nowadays um and and it just is the products that support them um so yeah so that's why i'm not very surprised mm. so one of the things i was thinking about in terms of like being part of the vegan plant-based community which is a very complicated <laughs> community for or, or you know nested groups of communities is you have like very, very strict whole food plant-based people who kind of feel like if if you eat something that makes an apple not taste sweet, you shouldn't be eating it, right? Like, yeah. and then there's vegans who are like, we just want people to stop um, oppressing animals. So we don't care if, you know, you deep fry fake butter, if that gets people... Right. So kind of how do you navigate because you're, you're both sort of a vegan product and a healthy product, but you're not a healthy product in terms of like, listen, stop eating sweet foods, just eat berries and, and fruit. 
how do you, how do you kind of navigate that uh, that in your own mind as well as in the in the marketplace? Well, in my own mind, let's start with this. I feel that you know you will have. I mean, the product like you cannot have a product for everyone. If you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. Mm-hmm. That's as simple as this. So it is true that, I mean, for vegans, we are not really against their ethics on the contrary. Like we just use the, the ingredients they, they like. Uh, so, but then you have like hardcore vegans that will want even more from us. Like they will, would want us to post like animal products on our feed and everything. The thing is, the way I conceptualize it is just go the middle way. Like you have to find, even in your own life, you have to find a balance. Um, and if we go like on the extreme side, uh, of, of things, um, we will have 90% of our audience that will not be happy. So if we go, for example, with, okay, let's just put it like super, um, create something that with an Instagram that really promotes animal, like cruelty free, uh, practices and everything. Yeah. We can do a few posts about it. I think it's important, but it's not, it doesn't resonate with, with our mission. Our mission is not about animals first, even if we, even if we totally, totally, totally are happy to support those causes, but our mission is about diet first, like about helping people to switch to, products that are good for them um, and that support the environment. Uh, so that's the, the, the main mission. So then regarding the business, I feel that um, it's, it's very, it's a simple marketing rule. You, you cannot target everyone. What we are creating is a wholesome product. So we, we more like if we had to target some people, we would target health conscious people. Mm-hmm rather than vegan people or uh, keto people. So yeah, we, that's the, so if some people are want more from us on the vegan side of things, then there might not be our, there might not be our customers for this type of for this brand, not because we don't want to, but because we would disappoint them. So, um, but that's okay. You cannot speak to everyone. Um, so, so that's really the way we, we see things. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, so as you look forward, you said you're going to you know, continue to sell exclusively on your website for a year. What, what are your plans? Yeah. So we want to extend our, um, we get already a lot of great data uh, about the kind of flavors people would like. So we want to expand with more flavors and uh, we, one of the feedback we get almost all the time is the fact that like the wow effect, how comes there is no aftertaste because sweeteners generally have a strong aftertaste. And so what we want to do is maybe uh, putting uh, on the market our, our like sugar system, let's call it this way. So um, our sweetener blend that uh, has no um, like that contains no added sugar. And, um, and then another thing, we are also working on a different whole, di- like totally different kind of product that is still in the sweet, sweet treat space, um, that I feel can, can really help people, um, 
like in their day-to-day life with with those cravings Let, let's mm-hmm. <laughs> say it this way so with cravings uh-huh okay I, yeah I, re- I recently read about the miracle berry you familiar with that yes <laughs> is, is that in there yes, somewhere yes i've heard about it no it's not in there but um you know, when you produce at a large scale, uh, the way we do, um, you have to, to, to buy products that are not too rare because if they are, it will drive the price really up. Mm. And, uh, at the end of the day, we want the, we like our products are mass premium. So it's like uh, a lot of people can buy it, but it's still premium. So, like if if we go to like we dig we dig in in those kind of uh, sweeteners, the products won't be affordable anymore. Like people won't be able to buy it. So not a lot of people will be able to buy it. Let's let's uh, correct this. So um, yeah. Gotcha. So what what are the what are the challenges that you're you're looking at? What are the things you have to overcome to to achieve the mission? Um, I think it's just keep building brand awareness. It's not, it's not an easy thing. I mean, the U S is a huge territory. Um, and you have a lot of pockets, uh, of the U S that, uh, have very, very different lifestyles compared to, uh, the, the East and West coast. Um, so it's just like to keep building, um, like brand awareness. And I think it's, um, it's going to be, super important over the next two years. Um, yeah. Hmm. So it's so interesting because, you know, I talk to a lot of vegan entrepreneurs who who have, you know, starry eyes and, and visions for saving the world. And they've got, you know, their their aunt's chili recipe or, you know, or something. And and I and I see that in you as well. But I also see like the the business training where there's like you're clearly very disciplined about what's possible about what steps have to take place um do when you i want i don't know if you since the pandemic is starting to maybe become more endemic if you're meeting with other entrepreneurs and you you have sort of advice for people you know who who have the next great vegan product um, cause you know, most things don't succeed or they, you know, or they, they don't grow big enough that the person can ever get out from under it and they become exhausted. Like what do you, you know, yeah. what, what, what do you know from your background and your journey that you think could help other, um, vegan or health food entrepreneurs? Um, so a lot of people will say they already know that, but it's the the first thing that comes to my mind is that the product is king. So it's really, really important. The product really fits with the audience. Um, and that if there is no added value in this product, like for example, at the moment, the big trend is fake meat. Um, so you will have like fake nuggets, uh, fake, uh, be fake everything. Um, for example, if they just add an additional fake meat, but it doesn't have, like, it doesn't, uh, correct 
address the pain points of customers, which is, uh, for example, a pain point that I have with fake meat is the fact that very often the it's not very natural, like the ingredient list is very processed. So this could be a, a pain point. So if they don't address one of those uh, pain points that a lot of customers have, then it's better to take your time and to think of uh, another product or how you could actually uh, improve even better your idea uh, to refine your idea. So that's really, yeah, I, I think it's, it's super important to not just have like a um, me too product where you just come up with another, with another uh, protein bar, for example, but you come with a protein bar that has something extra Um or actually even something less. Um, so it can be less ingredients, uh, more natural. It can be, it can be anything. Um, so, so yeah, so that's the way, that's the way I see it really not coming, uh, to the market with, with a me too approach. Mm. And that's, you know, that language of pain points means that you really have to become an anthropologist and a partner to your market. Because they what, what you know one of the things that I've done in business is I've gotten so fallen in love so much with my own idea that anyone who doesn't want to buy it is just stupid, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that has not gone well, right? So you know I'm also hearing a tremendous amount of curiosity and humility and openness and hunger for feedback as opposed to I've got my product and if you don't like it I don't want to hear about it. Yes, yes. I think you have to, the product is not for me at the end of the day, despite I still buy my product and I still have to go on my website and place an order because <laughs> I have absolutely no room in my, in my house for, for my products. But at the end of the day, the product is not for me. It's for a broader audience. And, um, and even if the idea initially like seed from my experience, it has to blossom with other people's experience. And, and that's really the way, the way I see it. Like it's not about me or it's not about my, my pride or my ego because sometimes it, it, it can hurt like a feedback. You know, we, we, we all love positive feedback. And when there is a negative feedback, you have to face it. But at the end of the day, it's the journey that counts because if you correct it, you ha just have to, to think about in which place you'll be like a year from now or it's six months from now after improving your product or after coming up with new products. And yeah, it's just like other people that matter. It's like being an entrepreneur, it's never you. It's never you. It's always your employees. It's, it's, it's never your taste. It's always people's taste. It's, you're just here like as a, you know, there's an orchestra in front of you and just, just have to harmonize every bit of like sounds and music and yeah, and language. Um, and, and that's essentially what I do. Just making sure we harmonize everything. Mm. That's a, a beautiful metaphor. So, um, before, before we go, let, uh, let's, let's build some brand awareness. So tell folks, um, the name of the company, what you sell on the website, where they should go and, and where, where you'd like them to follow you on social media and how they can help you in your mission. 
Yeah, sure. So uh, the name of the company is Miro, which is M-I-I-R-O. Um, just for the little story, it comes from Latin. It means to wonder. And then we added another I because it's more playful and in line with our, uh, with our brand identity. So, um, and our website is Miro, so M-I-I-R-O dot co, C-O. Um, and, and yeah, and you can find us, uh, on, on our, uh, on our website, um, only on the website at the moment. Okay. Great. And what are some of the products people can buy? So we have two range of products. So a chocolate collection product, which is like peanut butter cups, uh, chocolate bars, and we will add uh, more products soon. And then we have a baking range product, which is more like uh, peanut butter baking chips, dark chocolate baking chips, um, a flavored uh, sugar, sorry, sugar-free maple syrup. Um, so, um, so yeah, that's the, the the products we have so far, and. Um, and we hope that um, in September we will be able to have more. Mm -hmm. Great. So I know you know a lot of people. There's a lot of great vegan cookbooks that have, you know, cakes or cookie recipes, and you know they're basically whole food, plant based cookbook. But then it'll say, you know, add vegan chocolate chips, and you know, God knows what's in the vegan chocolate chips. Or um, <laughs> all right, add half. You know, this recipe calls for half a cup of maple syrup, or uh, you know, quarter cup of, of, uh, coconut sugar. And a lot of us just, you know, it's in that cookbook. So we're like, well, it must be healthy or I'm not even going to think about it, but this really is a range of products that, that will not add sugar so that you're not just, you're not just creating your own homemade versions of vegan junk food. So, uh, really encourage people yes. to, uh, to give it a try. M I I R O dot co. And, uh, right. maybe in a year or two, we can start finding it on shelves, right? Yes, 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 yes. So that's, that's the goal. Great. So Rim, thank you so much for, for the work you've done, for, uh, for moving this thing forward for all of us and for taking the time today. Thank you so much for receiving me. I really enjoyed our, our conversation and uh, having the time to, to explain a bit more about like our mission. So thank you. All right. Take care. All right. So if you uh, are so inclined, check out Miro.com, M-I-I-R-O, sorry, not .com, .co, Miro.co. And uh, if you get something, let me know. Drop a line. Let us know uh, how you like it, what you've used it for, and what you think. So garden news. Uh, man, we've had a lot of rain, and now we're having a lot of sun. As I, as I record this in the office, the temperature is approaching uh, 90 outside, and uh, it's 84 in here. I haven't felt like turning on the AC. Um, which means the weeds are having a heck of a time. So we've done a lot of weed pulling, a lot of hoeing, and the beans are starting to come up. We've got a bunch. Um, we put up these trellises that are sort of uh, like inverted U's. We're hoping that they're going to climb all the way up, and they're tall enough, made of 16-foot cattle panels, that we should be able to walk without having to duck down or crouch or, or hunch ourselves over. So looking forward to the beans coming up. Basil's doing pretty good. Most of the kale has flowered at this point, but there's still some good leaves that are hanging on. And in movement news, um, I actually played a little ultimate. Uh, well, I played a lot, but I didn't run that hard on Saturday. So, um, you know, the, the rehab is, is continuing. Um, my buddy Gary lent me his 35-year-old Airdyne, Schwinn Airdyne bicycle. It's one of those um, big metal contraptions with the handles that go forward and backwards, and the front wheel is actually a fan. So it's kind of nice. And he's been kind enough to lend me that, so I hopefully will be able to get some cardio back even before I go pounding on the roads. 
All right, time for thanks. Thanks to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, The Dance of Peace. You can find more of Will's music at his website, willridenauer.com. And of course, thanks to all of you Plant Yourself podcast patrons. Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Brittany Porter, Dominic Maurer, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hatterley, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Filkonofsky, David Bizek, The Mysterious, Michelle X, Elspeth Feldman, Leia Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Landry, Josina, Sarah Durkis, Kelly Cameron, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Tom Franza, Jeanette Benham, Gila Sert, David Donahue, Blair Cyborg, Dorona Vizov, Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Misha Rosen, Michael Warbeck, Aviva Lael, Alicia Lemus, Val Lineman, Nick Harper, Bandana Chawley, Molly Levine, The Inscrutable, Harry R., Susan Laverty, The Panda Vegan, Craig Kovic, Adam Scharf, Karen Burry, Heather Morgan, Nigel Davies, Marion Blum, Teresa Copel, Julian Watkins, Breed O'Connell, Sharon Hirschman, Linda Ayad, Holm Hedegaard, Isa Tuzinwa, Connie Hainline, Aaron Greer, Alicia Davis, Heather O'Connor, Carolyn Jensen, Sherry Olikoski of Plant Powered for Health, Karen Smith, Scott Morani, Karen and Joe Crabtree, Kirby Burton, Teresa Carell, Kevin McCauley, Elizabeth Rothschild, Ann Jesse, Cheryl Dwyer, Jenny Hazelton, Peter W. Evans, Dennis Bird, Darby Kelly, Lori Fanny, Linnea Lundquist, Emily Iconelli, Levy Wallach, Rosamund McAtee, Dan Picorni, Stephen Leenan, Patty DiMartino, Mike and Donna Kartz, Deanne Bishop, Billbury Elf, Marjorie Lewis, Trisha Adams, Nancy Sheldon, Lindsay Bayshore, Gunmarit Hagen, Tracy Gulledge, Laura Heaton, Meg for Mama Says, Stacey Stokes, Ben Savage, Michael Kay, David Hughes, Connie Rogers, Claire England, Sally Robertson, Paranganchi. Amy Daly, Brian Tourville, Mark Jeffrey Johnson, Josie Dempsey, Karen Schmidt, Pamela Hayden, Emily Perryman, Allison Corbett, Richard Stone, Lauren Vaught of Edible Musings, Aaron Hasty, Sean Owen, Sagar Nayak, Erica Piedra, Danielle Roberts, Michael Lushton, Sarah Johnson, Catherine Floyd, for your generous support of the podcast. That's it for now. As always, be well, my friends.